last week in Proverbs, as we were looking at the wisdom that God has for marriage, we saw that one of the purposes that God has for marriage is for the raising of godly children. That children indeed are a gift of God that he gives and withholds according to his wisdom. And that'll be our focus here this morning on the parent-child relationship. Before I do so, one of the questions I probably get asked very frequently, most frequently, possibly even, is our different resources, particularly for families. I want to point out a couple to you. One is, you might not be aware of this company called The Good Book Company. It's called thegoodbook.com. Um, they're a fairly new company, but they have very solid resources. I want to point out this series that they have right here. Um, these are a series of devotionals that are focused on helping kids of every age um, do have times of personal worship themselves. Um, the two books, XTB, which is Explore the Bible and Table Talk. XTB is for 6 to 11-year-olds. Um, and Table Talk is a family devotional that actually matches what's being ta- what, g- what is the content of what the children are going through on their own and explore the Bible. Um, Discover is for middle schoolers. They also have a, another series called Engage, which is for high schoolers, and Beginning with God is for younger, with younger children. One of the things that I appreciate about the series is that over the goal of it is that over the course of a three-year period is that children will be exposed to all the books of the Bible and all the major themes of Scripture. And then as kids get older, it also deals with, has, has articles and excerpts on um, articles and excerpts on particular life challenges at that, at that age. Um, great resource. Um, check that one out. Also, continuing to push the Jesus Storybook Bible, which hands down, in my opinion, is the best children's Bible out there. It is also the book that I wish every adult would read um, because this book will give you a clearer understanding of the whole story of Scripture, probably better than most other books that you'll come across. Um, just, a fantastic, just a fantastic book and resource. Also, other books particularly related to parenting, um, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp's a classic, particularly beneficial for younger children. Um, Also good advice related to discipline, as well as grace-based parenting. What does it mean to raise your children in a home of grace as as opposed to out of a home of legalism? And so encourage that one by Ted Kimmel, sorry, Tim Kimmel. And then two other books for um, teenagers would be Age Parenting Teenagers would be Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp looking at the opportunity that God gives your children and you as a family. And then also one that you probably might not be familiar with is uh, How Children Raise Parents by Dan Allender. And How Children Raise Parents is a book that focuses on um, the what God is doing in you as a parent. It is uh, the, the premise of the book is that one of the principal ways that God grows and cultivates adults and parents in their relationship with God is through their children. And so How Children Raise Parents is about how God is encouraging you as parents to listen for what he is teaching you uh, through your parenting and listening for what he is teaching you specifically through the challenges and struggles of your children. With that, um, I also do want to give credit to Jack Collins, who is a seminary professor of mine who has just had great wisdom, a very astute biblical scholar as we move into this message here this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask for your grace and for your wisdom and for your spirit to open up our hearts and our minds to the truth of Scripture. And moreover, Lord, as we study Scripture to the truth of who you are and how you are a God who delights in your children. And Lord, that you would use that in us to change us and to change our homes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question went through my mind, what is it? Our first child was born uh, via a scheduled C-section due to complications in, in the pregnancy. 
And for a new dad, having your first child born via a scheduled C-section is a little bit weird. And the reason why it's weird is because everything is normal and then you have a baby. It's like the night before we went out to dinner, got up the next morning, scheduled our time, we went to the hospital, kind of like you were checking into a hotel, when the nurse escorted me back to the room um, and said, here, you can drop your stuff off, we'll be back to get you. Then we got Holly off into the room, they came back and took me, we got Holly off into into the operating room, came back, met me, said, hey, you can join us in the operating room, and within a minute of coming back into the operating room there, my, my daughter is born. And all of a sudden to go from I was just checking into a hotel to now here is your baby is this surreal experience. The other thing that happened is like, as I'm, I'm there is that the doctor says to me, hey, Dad, do you want to come announce the gender of the child? And having never been around a newborn child before, I said, sure. And the doctor calls me back and says, here's your, here's your child. And I said, it's a... What is it? <laughs> it's a girl? Girl? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a girl. I'm like, it, it's a girl, right? <laughs> and this moment of exuberation. And then we, you know, finish that up and eventually get back to the room. And after, with a C-section, being in the hospital for a couple days longer, um, there and celebrating, you know, delighted to be a new dad, and then periodically looking over and being like, yeah, she's, she's still there. I came in and checked into the hotel, and we leave with this girl, what do I do now? And that's where Proverbs comes in. As that Proverbs comes in to give us understanding for what does it mean and practical advice for raising children. And so to begin with, as we look at Proverbs, what does Proverbs lay out in Scripture as a whole, lay out as the goal and the aim of having children? And it is more, rather, there is more at stake in having a family than bringing you as a parent a sense of happiness or a sense of completeness for something that is missing in your life. There is more at stake than for you to have someone who will take care of you when you are old. There is more at stake in parenting than getting your children into the best school with the best scholarship, with the best sports, hopefully to get a good job and eventually find the best best spouse. There is more at stake than any of those. And Proverbs 23, in this passage on parenting, gives us insight into that. What is the goal of child-rearing, having children? Listen for it here. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue... In the fear of the Lord all the day, the father of the righteous greatly rejoices. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let he who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. In short, the goal of Christian parenting is to raise and develop wise Christians, those who are righteous God-fearers. And God has decided that he will use parents as the principal and primary means to bring this about. That God has decided that his Holy Spirit, that he is going to send his spirits to work in parents and to work through parents to raise wise Christians and to raise God-fearers. He also uses the community of believers and other means of grace, but the principal responsibility is of those of parents. Now, as we go into this, 
And looking at Proverbs and parenting, I have to say, quite frankly, this is a, a topic that I was not particularly looking forward to doing. And the reason why I was not looking forward to doing it, namely, is because there are so there are such um, passionate opinions on this topic. And it's not simply within the Christian community that there are passionate opinions, but those passionate opinions are usually combined with passionate judgmentalism on this topic. And for this is that Proverbs gives a very sharp rebuke to the idea of formulaic Christian parenting. And particularly within Christian circles, evangelical circles, especially within reform circles, for those of you that are familiar with that, is that there is particularly this idea of formulaic parenting. Indeed, even one very prominent speaker at a parenting conference stood up and said at the beginning of it, I really don't understand what all of the debate, fear, and confusion is about related to parenting. The reality is that if you do these things, if you do like what I did, your, your children will turn out to fear the Lord. And if they don't, you need to accept fault. And things went forward. And that opinion is so rampant. And I think part of the reason why it is is because parents who are overwhelmed as new parents, they want to do it right, they want their children to know God and to seek God and to, lo- and to, and to love God. Also, parents who are dealing with their own baggage from their childhood or never having seen a Christian home or parenting, wrestle with all these things. And the idea that someone comes in and says, here is the formula for how you can raise God-fearing children who love the Lord, it is so attractive and so seductive of the false hope that is being offered there. And the truth of the matter is that for you as a parent, God doesn't want, isn't giving you a formula, but rather he wants you to walk in relationship with him just like every other area of the Christian life, that God wants you through your parenting to know him more and to trust him more and to love him more and to rely and be dependent more on the Lord. And that's what God does through it. And so Proverbs is very clear that it gives a sharp sharp rebuke to formulaic parenting. Well, why is that? Well, for some, there are um, some children are too opinionated to learn. Some adults are too opinionated to learn. A wise son hears his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. The scoffer is contrasted with the first part. Who is the scoffer? The scoffer is the son who does not listen to to his father's instructions. So too, good homes may produce an idler. This is within the covenant community. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The formula didn't work. So too, not only that, but children may curse God-fearing parents. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. And not only that, but while some parents certainly do have themselves to blame, the rod and reproof give discipline, but a child left to himself brings shame to, to his mother. But saying that a child who is not given instruction and discipline and guidance, a child who is not parented, a child who is left to himself, brings shame to his mother. And while there are some who should blame themselves, ultimately each child, each one of us, makes our own decision. Each of us, every person here, decides on our attitude towards wisdom. And that's why the posture of Proverbs is a posture between a parent and a child, is a posture of a parent persuading, exhorting, urging their children towards wisdom. My son, if you receive my words, it's a conditional statement, 
It's conditional because the parent can't make it happen. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you do this, because each one of us has to decide our own attitude towards wisdom. Not only that, but each one of us sets our own course and makes our own decision in the face of temptation. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That each one of us makes our own choice and our own decision. Nobody can make it for us of how we respond in the face of sin and in the face of temptation that there is there before us. And so, too, each of our children make their own decision. And ultimately, children who decide to follow the Lord, follow the course of wisdom, make their parents rejoice. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Is that Proverbs sets this up and saying, here are some of the, the challenges of this, is that you cannot bring these things about. You cannot instill wisdom in your children. Only encourage the choice to seek it. And encourage the choice to follow the Lord. And God uses parents as the principal means to bring that about. So, where do we begin? We begin with this, is understanding aspects of our, human, our own very human nature. For each one of us, children and adults, and everyone who ever was a child and anyone who still is. Is that part of our inherent nature? These two different aspects. One is ignorance, which is children come out without knowledge and without understanding. They have no intuitive grasp of, of information, of knowledge, of wisdom, or how to apply it. Is that all of our knowledge and information and insight comes to us from the outside. Now, Within this, within ignorance, in this realm of ignorance, and just meaning people not knowing, I would include childishness in this realm. Childishness would be included. Both the lack of understanding and at times also the lack of capability of understanding. To be clear, childishness is not a sin. Um, Arrogance about ignorance probably is. Uh, A determination to stay ignorant is probably one also. But childishness in and of itself isn't a sin. So too, not only with ignorance, is um, the, the admonition that Proverbs gives us that we would not remain ignorant, that we would be lifelong learners for our children and for ourselves. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Why do we need to do so? Because it doesn't come naturally from within us. We have to seek it out and gain it. So too, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. One of the most beneficial classes that I took in college was a 400-level class that I took outside of my discipline. And the reason why it was, and, the, and the, the, path, the, the professor that I had was very intelligent, and he was also very provocative, particularly of Christians. But one of the reasons why this class was so immensely beneficial for me was it, it gave me a glimpse in a way that I had never had before, a glimpse of how much I did not know and how much I do not know. Indeed, how much I cannot even begin to comprehend. And I'm not simply talking about an awareness of a lack of information. I am most keenly aware of volumes of libraries and information in God's given world that I did not know and did not understand. But one of the things that this class did for me 
was it began and exposed to me that there are things in this world that I do not even have the conceptual framework in my head to begin to address or to begin to understand. It was a class that, it, that exposed, to me, exposed to me that, yes, my own ignorance is great. My own approaches, my own ignorance of my own approach to dealing with my ignorance is great as well. And so personally, it, 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 it caused in me just a commitment to become a lifelong listener and a lifelong student. Why? Because of the ignorance that happens for finite people living in a world created by an infinite God. It's true of our children and it's true for us. Next major issue is not only ignorance but also waywardness. And waywardness is a moral issue. Waywardness is foolishness and rebellion. That's a part of our innate character. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly is moral insolence. In Proverbs, it it combines both stupidness and stubbornness and also um, just a heart that is turned away from the Lord. But that is bound up within a child and within each one of us. That There's these aspects of ignorance and there's these aspects of waywardness, but there is something else. Is that there is also greatness in Jesus Christ for our children that they were created as image bearers, that they were people who we are called to develop our children and to develop the God-given glory that God has bestowed upon them as bearers of his image who are designed to radiate his glory and promote the flourishing of humankind. There is greatness in Christ in our children that we as parents are called to develop. So from these different needs of ignorance and waywardness and greatness, Thus, we have a need for parenting. But before I get into the aspects of parenting, a word here for children. And the word for children is that you would seek wisdom, that you would learn and submit to your parents, because it's for your own good. Is that Proverbs chapter 2 describes the way that a parent father is talking to his son. And the father acknowledges the dynamic of what he can and what he cannot do. And he urges his children, as it is urging children here today, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs lays this out here as saying to children, seek it out. Seek it out. Search it. Because the Proverbs, the father is stating this, the sage knows that as to children is that your parents cannot change you. Your parents cannot make you wise. Your parents cannot decide the choice for you of whether you will be on the path of life or you will be on the path of death. Your parents cannot get you into heaven and they cannot give you a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I understand that in your home right now, it may feel to you like you don't have any freedom. It may feel to you like you don't have any choice. But who you become and what you believe And whether or not you will seek a life of wisdom or seek a life of foolishness is your choice, and it is not theirs. And so Proverbs is urging you to seek wisdom. 
and to seek the wisdom from your parents whom God has given to you to cultivate that within you. Proverbs not only gives you this invitation and, and this urging to pursue it because it's your choice, but Proverbs also gives a warning to children of every age, and probably this might be more applicable for older children, even children who are grown. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. We have this on magnets for your refrigerators on your way out the door. <laughs> if one curses his father and his mother, his lamp will be put out in other darkness. What's the urging of Proverbs here? Is that you would honor your father and mother. And I say that this, particularly for older children and probably for grown children, because if you went to, to college in the last 40 years, I would say, and took any sort of psychology class, probably a substantial portion of that class was an exploration in your family of origin and a study of family origin and, and studies in family of origin and the impact that they have on us. One of the results is that these classes have raised up generations, not just generation, but plural, generations, generations of people who believe that all of their problems in their life are their parents' fault. And that the main thing that is wrong with them is all of their parents' failures. And what Proverbs is saying is be careful not to get your eyes picked out by vultures. It's saying honor your father and mother. It is stop complaining about your parents' failures and thank them for, your, for their successes just as you would want your own children to do for you as you struggle in your own way, is to honor your parents and not complain about them and not to, not to put the fault for your issues upon them, but to accept that for yourself and thank God for the parents that he has given to you. So for children, would continue to seek wisdom. Now, as parents, Proverbs then describes different tools and different guidance that we have for how to raise our children into wise Christians. First off, there's five of these. First off is training. One of the most known verses of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart, depart from it. Just a reminder, this is a, not a promise. This is a proverb. But what Proverbs is urging here is that parents matter. And parents, is that you are the principal, you are the formative force in your children's life. And even grown children will say that the most influential person in their life, even after they've left the home, is their parents. And so the urging here is children, as parents, train up your child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, what is the way he should go? As Ray Ortland puts it, he says, God has called you as parents to train up your child to go to heaven. To train your child to go to heaven, ultimately, that's the way that they should go. And as parents, it is never too late to start. And we live in a culture when it is, where it is too easy for us to train our child up to go to hell. And to train them up to go to hell by doing what everybody else is doing and training them up to be the most successful, accomplished person in the American dream in whom God is secondary in their life but to train them up to go to heaven. Secondly is training. 
training. Secondly, is instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Instruction here being combating the ignorance that is within each one of us, the ignorance of being finite people within an infinite creation, something that will be a part of us for all eternity, and that is okay. But notice what Proverbs says, Hear your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching. Different circles and different groups, Christian and non-Christians, tend to overemphasize one or the other about whose responsibility it is. A lot of Christian circles would emphasize this is the father's job. Other circles would emphasize, no, it's the mother's job. What Proverbs emphasizes is both your jobs. It's the father's and the mother's. The father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching that both of them are jointly engaged in this thing jointly engaged in the instruction of their children. So training instruction, thirdly, is providing a godly example. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Hear the example embedded there. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. What an awesome responsibility for parents and for grandparents and for anyone that has an influence in the lives of children is to embody godliness and wisdom, is that children immediately sense out hypocrisy. You immediately detected that in your parents, and your parents and our children detect it in us. But children also detect out sincerity as well. And the importance of an example is this, is that if you want your children to be passionate for Christ, let them see you passionate for Christ. You dedicate your child to Christ by dedicating yourself to Christ so enthusiastically that your child tastes how good it is and wants more. That the child tastes Christ through your example and says, I want more of that in my life. I want what they have. Training, instruction, an example. Thirdly, fourthly rather, is discipline. And discipline would include in Proverbs a rebuke, a sharp word, withholding of privileges to physical infliction of pain. And to focus on any one of them would be wrong to do so because the goal here is character. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Discipline your son and again this is probably, this is set in the context of a father speaking to his son, so it certainly applies to daughters as well. Discipline your son, discipline your children, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Why would you put him to death? Because discipline addresses the folly and waywardness of our hearts, and to do so, to allow a child or to allow our children to continue in foolishness is to to imperil their soul is that godly discipline is not vindictive, nor is it rage-filled retribution, nor is it passive peacekeeping, but rather it is training in wise living. And so Proverbs is explicit. Train whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son is diligent to discipline. Now why does Proverbs connect um, physical discipline with these spiritual realities. 
namely because our physical bodies and our soul are intertwined with each other. There's no line of demarcation between our souls and our bodies. And Scripture makes clear that the result of spiritual disobedience is physical death. So, too, there's discipline related to that. Now, having said that, what biblical discipline, as God calls us to, here are the M's of discipline. One, it must be moderate, not brutal, and certainly not harmful. So, too, it must be moral, that is, for a clear infraction of known moral rules. Lying, stealing, disobeying a direct command, bullying, etc. It is not for youthful exuberance, which is not sinful. It is not for childishness, which in and of itself is not sinful, but it's moral. So, too, it's moderate, it's moral, and also memorable. Memorable in terms of getting through to this particular child, which varies by child. Not just that, but for it to be memorable, it needs to be predictable. That is, it's not capricious or inconsistent in its application. Why? Because the aim here is character development, not just getting them to do what I want. And so moderate, moral, memorable, and though this isn't an M, it must be prayer-filled. For only the Holy Spirit changes hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can bring change in our child's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can bring change in our own hearts. One other issue related to discipline, because this comes up in a lot of the Christian literature related to whether or not to discipline in public. And I think Proverbs would give the advice that it is almost always wrong. Namely, because the goal of discipline is not to shame or to embarrass but rather the goal of discipline is to shape character and to develop godliness and wise living. So training, instruction, example, discipline, and the fifth one here and the most importance is that we bestow upon our children a delighted love. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. This is the picture of, of, the, of biblical discipline and biblical parenting, is the way that God relates to us. How does he do so? That God relates to us as a father to a son in whom he delights and rejoices in. That the discipline of a father... The instruction, the training, the parenting of a father towards a child in whom he delights is radically different than of an adult towards a child in whom he despises. Consider how different the discipline would be from a parent who delights in a child. How different that would be than, say, the trench bull in Matilda who despises children and puts them in the chokey when they disobey. Or Miss Hannigan from, the, uh, from Little Orphan Annie or the stepmother in Cinderella. But it's the discipline of a father who delights in his children. And the point thing to point out here is that this is the pattern of the Lord's discipline that we are to follow. So many Christians, when they say, okay, I get this. I'm supposed to be, as a God's a father to me, I'm supposed to be a father to my children. That as God parents me, I'm supposed to parent my children. Well, how, is a God, how, does, God treat his, how does God treat his children? Well, at times, he brings the plagues, and then he sends them into exile, and then he has years of judgment and punishment and wrath poured out upon them. 
And some people, when they're angry, justify their anger by adopting, well, that's what God did in this incident. That's not the pattern. The pattern is this, as a father in the son in whom he delights. God delights in you. Is that he rejoices in you. Is that God delights in you so much so that he, he adopted you into his family and made you his cherished child when you were a wayward and rebellious enemy of God. And in that, God gave himself up, dying on the cross, rising from the grave in Jesus Christ, so that you would be adopted into his family. Because God delights in you, and he rejoices in you. And that all the things that God does, he does towards you in your life as one, as a father who delights in you and rejoices you and is cultivating you into all that God made you to be. You see, the number one thing that families need, that children need, the number one thing that they need from you as a parent is for you to know and to experience and for you to live in the grace of a God who delights in you. Some of you who are parents, you feel like a total failure. You feel like a failure in your parenting. You feel like your parenting, that you are a continual disappointment to God. And quite frankly, you probably felt that way for most of your life. You felt like a disappointment to your parents in the home that you were raised in. You felt like a disappointment in so many other areas. And when you think of your Heavenly Father, you think of a God who looks down at you and shakes on your head and says, Really? What a disappointment. What an utter failure. And if that is your posture and your attitude and your understanding of who God is, it would be exceedingly rare for that not to be manifested in your home and in your parenting. So too, if you are one who lives, if you live in the grace of God, if you live in the present experience of a God who delights in you, who rejoices in you, then that too will be manifested in your home and in your parenting. That the number one thing is needed is for you to know the delighted love of God that he has for you. The grace of God that changes you and continues to transform you so that as you are continuing to be delighted in the, in the, in the delighting love of God upon you, that that in turn would flow through you into your home and into your family. You pull these things together that children are a blessing from the Lord. That each one of us deals with these issues of ignorance and waywardness, but also greatness through Jesus Christ. And God has given us parents and, and, and one another with the goal of raising wise Christians, God-fearing, righteous God-fearers. And he gives us these callings and these tools of training and instruction and examples and discipline, and ultimately the example and the bestowing and the experience of delighted love so that you would know him more, so that you wouldn't try not to treat God like some sort of formula that says, hey, God, if I do these things, then you owe it to me for my kids to turn out right, but you would know the God who delights in you and who rejoices in you. And may the, <coughs> and may the delight of God, may the delight of God in you, may it overwhelm you. May it overwhelm your own soul daily so that it would flow through you into the delight of your children and your family. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, 
when we were wayward and indeed your enemies, you gave yourself and adopted us into your home. And you continue to delighten us. And Father, I find that mind-boggling. That you, the almighty, infinite, sovereign, holy, perfect God, creator of the heavens and earth, that you would delight in someone like me and continue to do so. And that you, Heavenly Father, delight in these brothers and sisters gathered here. Father, that is so contrary to what so many of us have experienced and lived in this life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see and to know your love and your grace, your delight in us, and in turn, Lord, that you would use that, that we would delight in our children and delight in raising them to seek you and to know you. Father, we do pray for our families. Father, we pray for our children, that they would choose wisely. Father, that each one of them would call upon you as their Lord and Savior, that not one of them would be lost. And Father, you know that every believer here, every parent here, would gladly make that decision for their children, but it is not our decision to make. And so, Father, we beseech you for you to send your Holy Spirit to change our children's hearts, to change each one of our hearts, to draw us to you, to know you in a relationship with you, that you would be honored and glorified, and that we would be delighted in by you for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.